Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interest, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Greenleft is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And you are joined today by presenters, my, um, including myself, Jacob Andrewafa. And today we are also joined by Sue Bolton as one of our co-presenters. And we also Hi. have a special co-presenter as a guest, um, Gabrielle, um, who's actually a high school student um, doing kind of work experience with Green Left. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Oh, good to be back. Okay, um, so um, I'll go pass it on to Gabrielle to start with the Acknowledgement of Country for the program. Here at 3CR and Green Left, we would like to acknowledge that this show is being broadcasted on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. Their land was taken by brute force and sovereignty that was never ceded. We pledge to actively support decolonisation and we are in solidarity with First Nations peoples' struggle for justice. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So, over to me now. Thanks, Gabrielle. Um, We've got a good show this morning to present. Um, First, we'll go through some of the news headlines. Then we'll play an interview for you with John Tamahiri from the Te Te Pāti Māori, which is the Māori Party in New Zealand, about the AUKUS military pact between Australia, the US and Britain then some more news, and then we'll have a live interview with Adele Walsh from the Geelong Women Unionist Network um, talking about the um, massive cuts by the Geelong Council, and we'll read the activist calendar. Then we'll have uh, our second live interview with George Kanjeri from the Save Preston Market campaign. Um, so now we've got our first news headline that we wanted to talk about is a report which got a little bit of media coverage, but not massively, where it was a report which was prepared by the UN in the lead-up to the World Meteorological Congress, which is happening in a couple of days' time, a few days' time, which indicates that at least one of the next five years will be the warmest, the hottest, year on record in human uh, human recorded history. Um, so this means that the global temperature is being pushed into uncharted territory. And, you know, I don't know, um, you know, this is really quite extreme. And, you know, we've still got a federal government, okay, different government to the last one, but just recently the ALP government approved a new coal mine, um, so, you know, Australia is still contributing towards global warming and is not taking the action that's necessary to bring down these temperatures. But anyway, I don't know if anyone else would like to say a few words about about uh, this report. Well, I guess I'll start with a few comments. Um, 
probably a few things to kind of note about this is we don't necessarily know what the unforeseenable kind of consequences will be of of this of this heat increase. I mean, we've already kind of seen the kind of impacts that climate change is already happening on crops, so basically impacting on food food supply. Um, we're not um, we're not going to go be completely across all the kind of consequences of you know how this will destabilize um, you know economic systems etc within across the kind of world. And what is quite clear is the majority of, you know, pretty much the majority of, you know, capitalist governments, although Global North, um, um, oh, oh, the West, the, the Western countries by, um, have the greatest sort of blame in this, um, there's no, pe- there's no sense of preparation for what's, um, for what's happening next in terms of these global wars. The fact that, you know, this didn't, you know, even dominate the kind of headlines is actually a bit of a national kind of shame in the fact that the sense, this is actually the key kind of issue that humanity actually has to prepare for. Yet we're getting all this sort of rhetoric around, you know, war against China, etc. Those are the kind of things that actually dominates me. And I think it just shows it's telling of the actual priorities of those in power. And Gabriel, did you have any quick comments you wanted to make? Yeah, well, just just similar to um, what you were saying, like the fact that this was it was sort of um, slipped by, I think, everyone's minds when it got reported. Uh, it wasn't really he- like sort of heavily widespread news, which it really should be, because it's a very it's a very pressing issue. Um, that yeah, we should it should definitely be talked about more as um, when brought into like climate discussions. So yeah, yeah. And also, I think you know, there's been a heat wave in Asia. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, like a lot of the temperatures right through Asia were like around 45 degrees. <laughs> and 45 degrees plus. Um, now, that wasn't really heavily reported over here. In fact, most of the news ignored the heat wave that happened in Asia. Um, okay, we're in the middle of winter, but it's um, summer in the Northern Hemisphere. And then the other thing which is happening, which is really extreme, but is a bit out of our sight because we're not directly experiencing it in Australia, is the... Arctic warming, the melting of sea ice in the Arctic. Now, um, you know, people who really focused on uh, climate issues are probably very aware of that, and and scientists, um, you know, are really alarmed by what's happening in terms of melting sea ice. But in general, because it's not something in front of your eyes all the time, you're not necessarily thinking about something like this. But this is really quite extreme, so that a lot of animals in um, the Arctic, um, with the melting of sea ice, they can't... There's a shrinking mass, land mass, which means um, they're... You know, they're losing their habitat, um, just like chopping down trees in Australia causes wildlife to lose their habitat and they can't get their, get food. They can't, um, sustain themselves. So things are becoming unsustainable. And the horrific thing is that all these oil and gas companies are thinking, yippee, they can actually now explore for oil and gas in the Arctic now that the sea ice is melting. So um, very alarming and something for us to really think about before we go into um, our song, our first song for the day. Yeah. Well, I thought we'll play play a quick song, but just to make one conclusion, 
um, um, just one last comment. Um, we've just recently published an article in Green Left that Alex Bainbridge has written, but basically he gives a bit more of a kind of detailed kind of assessment of the federal budget, budget, and it's and um, what it's actually doing for climate. And to just give you a bit of an air, uh, a spoil alert, it's not doing much. And I think you know if you look into the, um, I think it's worth kind of a read because it does give a very good overview of you know the fact that there's really no major plan for climate action within Labor's federal budget. But I pass it on to Gabrielle to introduce the song that we're going to be playing. Yeah. So um, this uh, first song we'll be playing is by Indigenous surf rockers uh, King Stingray. Um, the band from Ireland actually were nominated for the Environmental Music Prize for its lead single, Hey One Hucker, which you will hear shortly. Uh, it carries an ancient songline about the celebration of nature and the Yolngu way of life. Um, in fact, the, the singer Yuringa, uh, Yunu Pingu actually said that we don't own Mother Earth, own, the Earth owns us, which is a quote from him. Um, and his uncle... Uh, led the legendary indigenous rock band Yothu Yindi. Um, and guitarist Roy Kellaway, whose father was also in Yothu Yindi, said that the Yongu people are perhaps the original conservationists of Earth. They've been looking around country since the beginning. We have a lot to learn from Yongu people. Without the environment, we don't exist. So now you are going to listen to... Well, you got 
That was Hey Wanaka by King Stingray from their self-titled album, King Stingray. Now, over to Sue to introduce the next item. Great. And and just before I do that, um, that album was from uh, Matt Ward's 10-year albums, which is part of Green Left. And if anyone wants to get his weekly column or monthly column of 10-year albums, um, you email mattwardmusic at greenleft.com or else just contact Greenleft. Um, so now to the, our first interview of the day. Um, our first interview is um, by Greenleft's Alex Brainbridge, who interviewed T- John Tamahir from Tapati Maori, which is the Maori Party in New Zealand. And Alex interviewed John Tam- Tamahiri about the AUKUS military pact between Australia, the US and Britain. Um, the military pact includes spending at least $368 billion on nuclear submarines. And Tepati Maori is totally opposed to Aotearoa, New Zealand joining AUKUS. Um, now John Tamahiri will explain why. The Anzac tradition is in tatters. The AUKUS deal violates our sovereignty, and it's all about racism. These are some of the views of John Tamahere, President of Te Pāti Māori, the Māori Party in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I spoke to John today about the AUKUS deal and some of the issues involved. Before we get underway, I just would like to say that I'm recording this on stolen Jagera Turbul land, and all around the world we pledge ourselves to Indigenous solidarity. Also, if you do like the work that we do, please become a supporter of Green Left. It makes a huge difference to the work that we're able to do and it's the best way to get the content that we produce. As I said, I spoke to John today and I asked him to report what is the latest on this push to get New Zealand to join the AUKUS deal and what is the attitude of Te Pāti Māori to this? Um, in terms of the ANZAC tradition, uh, that's in tatters. Okay? That is historical. Uh, there is no doubt that there was great licence for it when our, when our people fought side by side uh, in the Boer War, First World War, Second World War, Korean War, Vietnamese War, uh, and there was um, undoubted comradery uh, because uh, both Kiwis and uh, Aussies have a deep reverence for POMs and, uh, and, and English leadership. Where, where Australia has morphed, though, in our view, is that you've become the 51st state of the United States of America without any conversation with the indigenous people of uh, Australia or indeed with your um, partners uh, in your geopolitical environment called Aotearoa New Zealand. And so the day that you continue to embark uh, on putting your trailer on um, policy frameworks led out of Washington means that you're, you're no longer a sovereign people. You're, you're now part of somebody else's conversation. We brought in our nuclear-free legislation in 1987. Uh, your nuclear submarines, your uh, nuclear-fired anything, are unwelcome in our waters. So the day that the, uh, your leadership determined to buy uh, nuclear-powered submarines, which will be nuclear-deployed and nuclear-armed, why, why would you buy these things uh, merely to go investigating how good your fishing stock are. Nothing to do with that. No negotiation, no discussion with Aotearoa New Zealand, and yet 
we're, we're um, in close proximity with you, but thank the Lord we've got our own sovereignty. So the party Māori is totally opposed to a number of things. Firstly, uh, we want uh, to have a national conversation about re-seizing our sovereignty and ending uh, the crown uh, from King Charles being head of our constitution. It's an anathema to us. They have nothing in common with us, okay, apart from some historical baggage. And the crown is a is a symbol of uh, rape, theft, and pillage uh, on Indigenous peoples around the world. It's wealth. They call it the Commonwealth. It was not the Commonwealth. It's the wealth of the English crown that that benefit plus all that hierarchy around it. So we we have no truck for it anymore. We've grown up, okay. And so, so when you think that thing through, we want to seize back our own sovereignty. We're going to have that conversation. Uh, there's a young, vibrant generation of under 40 year olds uh, in both countries, Australia and Aotearoa, that are having that conversation amongst themselves now. And so we, so so then you dial dial forward to. Well, what shapes your foreign policy? What, what, what shapes your military views of yourself? Well, surely it must be uh, that you are a country that shares Oceania and Southeast Asia. You're not a European country, for goodness sakes. And you've got obligations, duties and responsibilities to Indigenous people everywhere, including your own. So, so AUKUS is an anathema to us and in our policy which we've just released coming into our own election, which occurs on the 14th of October. Um, and we are the kingmakers in terms of our MNP politics. So uh, in the last 12 polls, the Māori Party will determine who rules. And part of our bottom line is uh, the issue of a new conversation on sovereignty with uh, getting rid of the monarchy. We want to be uh, militarily neutral, uh, we want to be the Switzerland of the South Pacific. And um, don't get me wrong, we'll still have a defence force. But we we are friends to everybody and enemies to no one. So why why force us to pick sides like all people with slant eyes and yellow skin are naughty, ugly people? Who who said that? Where's the evidence for that? Why is it that all of a sudden you have to choose sides? when you should choose your own side. And, 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 and if you're a true sovereign nation, why do you always apply that? Here's the other thing, five nations, five eyes, we've got five eyes over here solely because of um, where we are positioned on in the globe and we, we have a, a better vista of a whole range of things um, satellite-wise. We want out of that. We don't want anything to do with um, Canada, Australia, uh, the U.S., all, all the rest, you know, we just don't. And here's the other question: Why should we? Give me one example as to how it would advance Indigenous people, or not either Australia or in Aotearoa, to be a part of some military alliance uh, where we're all having to fund some some war amongst Slavic people on their own on their own whenua amongst one another. We're not going. We don't. We don't agree with the war, but we're not prepared to go and support either side either. They're indigenous people fighting on their own lands. 
We made the mistake of lining up and fighting the Vietnamese on their own land, fighting the Afghanistanis on their own land, and the indigenous people went out. Rather terminate them, and the Aussies had a bloody good go at uh, the indigenous peoples of Australia with, with some of the most barbarous rules I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, so that's um, that's the position of Party Māori, and we're, we're in a very strong position. There's a climate, there's the cost of militarism, there's a whole bunch of problems associated with the AUKUS deal. Are there other, other issues you want to raise aside from this issue of sovereignty? Well, no, no, because you see, everything goes back to sovereignty. Um, all the other issues you've raised are sidebar to the real issue. The real issue is, why? Why? Who made the case for you joining AUKUS? Who made the case for dragging us with you? No one has. So, so all the others, all the other stuff, you know, the, the outrageous cost, why we're so going military neutrality is because we just want to look after our own economic zone. We don't want to invade anybody else's. We don't want to have a military that can make war on other continents elsewhere for other people's reasons. You know, we, we just want to have a defense force that looks after our exclusive economic zone. And we're pretty happy with that. And, and if everyone was happy with that, what's the problem? Chinese actually buy things off us. They're our biggest trading partner. They've provided us with the, the best free trade agreement, even better than the Australian free trade agreement. The US and Great Britain refuse to enter into free trade agreements with little old Aotearoa. I mean, it's a disgrace. And they want us to make war on the bloody people out of Moscow and Beijing because... Apparently, London and Washington are better. What a load of crock. How much discussion is there in Aotearoa about New Zealand joining AUKUS? No, because... No, no, um, the less oxygen it's given uh, and the less informed your populations are, the easier it is for politicians to make decisions and Allah is a done deal. So over here, uh, the whole conversation around AUKUS... AUKUS has been extraordinarily low key, and is only and, and a number of our groups, which are deemed fringe, like Indigenous, uh, who try and raise the discussion, are squashed. Are you worried that it's that the the one of the governments will try and uh, join? Oh, <laughs> on the fourteenth of, of October this year, if the election goes the wrong way. There's no doubt this country will be joining AUKUS. Aotearoa New Zealand is famous for its anti-nuclear policy from the 1980s, also famous for staring down the wrath of the United States on this issue. Could you explain what does the AUKUS deal mean for this anti-nuclear policy? Well, it's a direct anathema. It's the biggest oxymoron you could possibly seize on uh, on both sides of the Tasman. How how can we have uh, an anti-nuclear legislation, 1987, um, we, an, an act of war was conducted uh, against us by the French, for goodness sakes, when they blew up the Rainbow Warrior here. You know, this is the disgraceful type of conduct of these people. So, so we've, we've suffered um, an act of war on our, in our own territory, but not by a Russian, not by a Chinese, no, no, a dirty, rotten froggy. So, and this is a matter of historical record and history, right? So, so to us, um, you you can't have your nuclear submarines here. Yeah. So we're quite happy that you can't come 
and into our waters, right? Because it's in breach of our legislation. And you know what? With that legislation, our renewables sector is uh, close to 80%. Because there's a a quick and easy fallback for everybody in nuclear power, right? Yeah. Thank God for that legislation, which forced us to think, uh, to look at renewables. So these things aren't just about uh, warmongering and the waste of dollars, you know? But these things are about the sense of travel of your whole nationhood and the way it looks, feels, and reflects itself. And so thank God for uh, uh, banning nuclear, uh, any nuclear, um, uh, either arms or product uh, in New Zealand. Uh, and then that just fired up our renewables sector and we're in the top 10% of renewables in the country, in the world rather. So, so, so great things happen out of these decisions. Writing recently in Green Left, Matt Robson linked the anti-nuclear policy on the one hand as a distraction from the government's extreme neoliberal austerity imposed on the people of your country at the same time. In Australia, we've just had the budget where there are crumbs for people who are disadvantaged, but uh, billions of dollars for tax cuts for the rich, billions of dollars for nuclear submarines. Can you please talk about this link between neoliberal austerity on the one hand and militarism on the other? Well, um, the... The evidence that supports neoliberal economics is a bit like the emperor with no clothes. You know, the, um, our policy structure that was adopted uh, in the mid-80s to the mid-90s is now in grievous disrepair. Everyone knows it. Inequality, uh, over that period of neoliberal economics, uh, our country's wealth fell into the hands of 2% own 50% of our wealth all happened in the last 35 years. And neoliberal economics isn't about um, rich folk getting rich because they're so clever and smart. It's because they're close to regulators and politicians that make the law that continue to egregiously advance their interests at the expense of the rest of the nation. So they socialise all their losses. They bank all their profits. Nothing changes. You know, they're a disgrace. And the more we can call that out, the better. And that's why Spanji Māori's um, lay-down position is that we uh, are going to assert a wealth tax on these people because we want a fairer, more decent society. Right? And and it's not it's not because we're envious of the rich. It's because too few have had too much to say over too much. That's what we're arresting. Not not the envy of the rich. But the corruption that has grown through our body politic because of them. The drumbeats of war against China are beating ever louder, and surely this AUKUS pact is part of this push towards war on China. Can you explain what is what attitude should progressive people take to this push for war against China? Well, well, I, I think we should take a history lesson first. Um, China built the Great Wall to keep people out and to host them in. Name, name one massive excursion out of China. They've been attacked by Japan. They've been attacked by the French. They've been attacked by, they've been attacked by virtually everyone. The Russians, for goodness sakes. You know, the Mongols. Name one time. Yeah. Oh, the opium war with the English. See, with it, that just brings up all the drama with those poems, but let's park them up because the debate is about China. 
There's no case to go against China at this particular point in time uh, through imperial expansionism. Now, they'll come down here and do trade. Right. And if it's, if it's a fair trade, and my eyes are open, I've got lawyers, I've got accountants, I've got economists, and we cut a deal that benefits both parties, that's a great deal. What's wrong with that? Why, what? And here's the thing, there's too much racism involved in this, you know? It's all, all about those dirty yellow people, again. I can't stand racism. And uh, I say to our people, you've suffered racism from here to eternity, don't go and buy into that nonsense. Show me where's the evidence and where's the case to go uh, anti-China, anti-China, pro-America, pro-America. One will take all our goods without tariffs. One won't allow our goods in. And if they do, they'll tariff the hell out of them. I guess, I guess who's the tariff? Well, a a, a, a um, person that applies that. It's the Yanks, not the Chinese. Same with your products. Thank you very much for your time. That was John Tamahere from Te Pāti Māori, uh, the Māori Party in Aotearoa, New Zealand. As I said at the beginning, if you like the work that we do, please become a supporter of GreenEft. It makes a huge difference to the work they're able to do and it's the best way to receive the content that we produce. Also, you can support us on Patreon, but even without spending a cent, you can share this video or share the link to this GreenEft article. Every little bit helps and we do certainly appreciate your work. We have a world to win and people power as a way to do it. Thanks. See you next time. Well, that was a really great interview with John Tamahiri from the Te Pāti Māori, uh, which is the Māori Party in New Zealand. And it sounds like they have a great position in opposing AUKUS and opposing nuclear subs. And in fact, New Zealand is opposed to uh, hosting any U.S. Warships because the US refuses to announce whether they've got nuclear weapons on board or not. And in Australia, uh, we would do well to take a leaf out of New Zealand's book and follow their lead by banning US warships. Um, now we're ready for our next song, which Gabrielle's going to introduce. Yes, so our next song is uh, called I Am The River, The River Is Me by queer Melbourne-based indie musician Jen Cloer and... Uh, from her latest album, which celebrates her sexuality and Maori heritage. The album is also called I Am The River, The River Is Me. Um, the video for the lead single Mana Takatapui uh, features people prominent in queer Maori culture, including New Zealand Greens MP Dr Elizabeth Kerikera, and activist Quack, Quack Pirahi, and drag queen trio The 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 two was sorry about my pronunciation uh, non-binary model Tangora Paul and noted choreographer and dancer Jacob Tamata describing the acclaimed record Kola said a person who identifies as Takatapui is a Maori individual who is gay lesbian bisexual or transgender
Have I caught you at a time where you can listen? Are you sitting on a plane with the clouds below you? When it feels unreal like you're in a movie Wrote a song for you cause I know you're trying On a planet that you love that you know is dying And the grief you feel is real
to you. That was I Am The River, The River Is Me by Jen Clower from the album also called I Am The River, The River Is Me. Now, over to Sue to bring you some news from the week. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention to people is that some people, some of our listeners might already know about this, that there is a public housing estate uh, which is under severe threat. And this is the Barrack Beacon Estate in Port Melbourne. Um, And there are seven people who are resisting being forcibly relocated from this estate. Everyone else has been forced slash persuaded um, to leave the estate and be relocated. Um, And one of the residents, uh, Margaret Kelly, a 68-year-old former adult education teacher and disability pensioner, has lived in this estate for over two decades. This is her community. The state government issued her an eviction notice to leave by last Tuesday. She hasn't left, um, and there's still six other people in addition to Margaret still there. Um, We will need to keep an eye out because we may be calling... Uh, for an emergency picket, an emergency protest at the estate um, when they try and move Margaret. But hopefully they won't do that. Hopefully we'll force the government to back down. But this is part of the Victorian state government's program of um, supposedly uh, renovating public housing estates. But what they're actually doing is turning these housing estates into a mixture of private dwellings and uh, social housing, and the social housing isn't the same as public housing because it's less secure and higher rents, so it's not the same as public housing. Um, And many of the residents who've been forcibly relocated will never be able to return because many of the current um, units are three bedroom and they will be in the newly um, renovated estate they will be uh, one and two bedroom which means there won't be room for any of the larger families who will be forced out so we have to really watch this space we have to defend Margaret and the other residents on this estate who are resisting being forcibly relocated into private housing. Um, so, yeah, this is really important, and it really is a big con that the government is trying to pretend that they're renovating public housing. But we've got um, only a few minutes before our second interview, so I just wanted to throw over to Gabrielle, who went, who attended a protest yesterday outside the Japanese consulate. Um, and I'll throw it over to Gabrielle to explain what the protest was all about. Yes, so on on Wednesday, I believe it was, there were there was an action outside the Japanese consulate, um, telling the Japanese government to. Um, back down on their stance that they've made to this saying that they want to phase out fossil fuels. Um, I actually published an article about this on Green Left on Wednesday. Uh, a lot of a lot of um, p- 
people are confused because of the Japanese government have um, been coming out and saying that they're against fossil fuels and they want to transition to clean energy, but they are they still continue to be the largest funder for fossil fuel expansion, specifically coal and gas, in Asia and Australia. So, with the up, uh, upcoming G7 summit, there. Um, protesters wanted some more clarity on what Japan's actual stance is towards fossil fuels. So hopefully we will see that from them. Great. And that protest was also a request from Friends of the Earth in Japan um, who are campaigning to um, get their government and their economy out of fossil fuel. And so they called on people in Australia and other countries to organise protests um, against the Japanese government and Japanese corporations that are still pushing fossil fuel. All right. Well, thank you for that, um, Gabrielle and um, Sue, for those kind of news reports. I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio and I will, will be going shortly to our first interview, live interview for the program. Are you feeling depressed about the future of our planet? The Eco-Socialism 2023 conference could address your worries by providing a platform for radical solutions. Activists from around the world will examine the links between the ecological, economic and political crises of our time. You'll hear from Japanese Marxist Kohei Saito, author of Capital in the Anthropocene, who argues that capitalism's pursuit of unlimited growth and profits is the major barrier to ecological sustainability. Inspirational speakers from the Asia-Pacific region, including India, Pakistan and the Philippines, will take up the fight for climate justice and against war and fascism. Eco-socialism also highlights women's and queer oppression, First Nations sovereignty, and so much more, including a session featuring former refugee Baruz Bachani. For more information and bookings, go to our website, ecosocialism.org.au. Ecosocialism 2023, A World Beyond Capitalism, Saturday, July 1 to Sunday, July 2 at Victorian Trades Hall. A 3CR supporter. Okay, now we've got uh, our next interviewee on the line. We have Adele Welsh with us. Adele is a convener of Geelong Women Unionist Network, or GWAN for short, and we've invited her in the show to talk about the recent closure of libraries in Geelong as well as the other cuts by the Geelong Council to basic services and there have been uh, protests against the closure of libraries in Geelong, which Adele has been involved in. Um, welcome to the show, Adele. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me on. Great. And we've also got a third presenter today, um, Gabrielle DeFalchio. So um, Gabrielle will be asking you some questions as well. Sure. Hi, Gabrielle. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, why don't you start by telling us what is going on in Geelong? Why are the libraries closing or being threatened with closure in Geelong? Well, it's a really long and quite convoluted story. Um, So as far as I can work out, so COG, their city of Greater Geelong, have recently released their draft budget 
and so have Geelong Regional Library Corporation. So the Library Corporation is the outsourced body who runs our local libraries and it's made up of five member councils from the wider Greater Geelong area. So COG, City of Greater Geelong and the four other councils essentially fund the Library Corporation to run all the libraries in our area. So the Library Corporation is saying that the COG draft budget doesn't include funding for the operating costs of two new libraries at Drysdale and Armstrong Creek. And that's left the corporation with a budget shortfall of over a million dollars, so about 1.1 million. So their response has been moved to close um, some libraries entirely um, and to cut the opening times of lots of other libraries. So Bowen Heads, Geelong West and Highton are slated to close entirely. And then Chilwell Library is going to become an unstaffed model. Um, two, two libraries, Cryo and the new library at Drysdale are going to close on Sundays. And then there's about half a dozen other libraries that are going to close earlier on Saturdays. Um, and there's going to be reduced services at the, um, main Geelong Library and Heritage Centre. So the new library in Drysdale, um, Borongook, Cost the community over $9 million and of that $9 million, COG contributed about $8 million of the money. So it's really unconscionable of COG to spend all that ratepayer and taxpayer money to build a new facility and then to turn around and not fund its running and operational costs. Um, Unlike the City of Greater Geelong, the Library Corporation are saying that they're not going to make any permanent staff redundant um, in this upcoming financial year, but they haven't made any commitments that I'm aware of on what's going to happen to casual staff, and they are saying that they're going to have to look at how or even if they fill vacancies over the next financial year. Um, so there's a really big blame game going here on here in Geelong. Um, and our libraries, um, I guess, are the meat in the sandwich. Hi, Adele. Good to speak to you today. Um, uh, my question is, who talk, can you talk to us a bit about who are the people who have really been affected by... Um, these library closures and what what has been the response from the people who really um, need these libraries to stay open? Sure. Um, so if I can just talk a little bit about libraries. So libraries are about far more than books. They're, libraries are a vital community hub um, and they're one of the last, if not the only, remaining places where people can go with no expectation that they'll spend any money. They have meeting rooms, um, free internet, online resources. They run courses and they help people with technical issues. They've got free newspapers and magazines. They're a safe, warm and free place for families and communities to gather and spend time if perhaps they're needing a little bit of respite from their world. Libraries run really important early literacy groups and events to support parents with developing their little one's early literacy. 
Um, and libraries help kids to develop a lifelong interest and a love of books and reading. They run courses on a whole range of topics um, and they help lots of people in the community um, with all sorts of tech and internet access and, um, and, and issues. And so nearly everyone in the community is affected by library closures. Students, families, children, children, new mums who might be feeling a bit lonely or isolated, <clears throat> older people who might need a bit of company or who might just want to read the paper for free, homeless people who might need some respite from the weather. They libraries run regular baby and toddler time groups. They show kids films during school holidays. Um, and they have regular film times for community members at other times. Numerous community groups use library meeting rooms. Schools have excursions to local libraries. Um, so libraries are a vital, vital part of any community. And the community down here is quite rightly really enraged. I actually... Um, I actually don't recall a time when there's been this much community outrage in Geelong over a local issue. So there is a really big community fight back happening um, and communities are vowing to save our libraries. That's probably an easier question to ask who isn't affected by the library closures. That's right. Well, thank you, uh, Adele, for explaining all of that about the fact that libraries are not just about books anymore, they're this massive community hub. And also as uh, governments and corporations have pushed everyone online, it yeah. means that for lo that work uh, that would have been done by face-to-face -face staff in like Centrelink, just for an example, um, has now shifted into like, public libraries with people who don't have computers at home or internet at home and often asking library staff to help them fill in forms for Centrelink or immigration or the pension or tax office or whatever it is. So, yeah, thanks for explaining all of that. I was wondering if you could also talk a little bit about the other budget cuts because my understanding is that the Geelong Council is doing a real slash and burn, not just to the libraries, but to other basic services as well. Yes, yes, they, they really are. And so COGA saying that they've got significant budget issues um, and we all are feeling the bite of inflation and cost of living pressures. So I do accept that COG, like the rest of us, are feeling the pinch a little bit. But sadly, though, there's been lots of media here in Geelong showing that high, highly paid executives at council have jumped by over 40% recently. Um, and two or three years ago, in 2020, 37 council executives earned more than 150000 a year. So those 37 workers, just the 37 of them on their own, would have got around $5.5 million a year just for those 37 workers, um, or highly paid execs. I probably wouldn't call them workers. Um, <coughs> currently under investigation on 
its recruitment processes for a new CEO and the state government's actually installed monitors into the city to oversee that process. So while the rest of us are struggling to keep our heads above water um, in this post-COVID recovery period, COG doesn't really seem to be acting in financially responsible way and their response to their budget issues has been to either underfund or defund vital community resources and services so instead of being responsible money managers, they're planning to cut leisure and recreation <coughs> services. They're going to close some public swimming pools over winter. And they've recently restructured their community life directorate and they've cut 18 to 19 positions out of that department. <coughs> and those positions give support and advice some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Older people, people experiencing family violence and homelessness. Um, and that department also provides gender <coughs> equity and multicultural services. So Geelong, just like the rest of the country, we're really feeling the cost of living crisis down here. Um, and there's been recent data to show that three of the top eight most social socioeconomically disadvantaged suburbs in the whole state are right here in Geelong. We've got one of the tightest rental markets in the whole state. We're experiencing a family violence crisis. Family violence reports have really spiked here over the last couple of years. And as well, we're really proud of our multicultural heritage here in Geelong. And we're a community that really celebrates our multiculturalism. So for lots of us here in Geelong, it's like COG are abandoning our most vulnerable residents. And they're ripping pieces of our hearts out with their attacks on libraries and multiculturalism and older people and women. It's just absolutely outrageous what they're doing. Yeah, that, that that really does sound pretty horrible, and also also all for the benefit of um of the big executives who are getting paid me- the mega bucks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yes. Well, to sort of continue on with that, how can you tell us a bit about the fight back campaign and about the protests um for these um for these services, and can you tell us a bit about like the, also the different groups that are involved in this campaign? Yes, there's a really big fight back campaign. Um, the Geelong people are really community minded and we're very strong unionists as well. And we're a community who really value our libraries and our council services. So <clears throat> I've been really heartened by the community response. So my union, the ASU, um, who look after library and council workers is running a really strong campaign. Um, we had a big community protest outside the last council meeting when the draft budget was released and was passed by our councillors. We had a really well-attended community meeting at Geelong Trades Hall last night to plan and advise the community um, on how they can respond to the budget. Um, last night, the community really shared their outrage and anger um, at council and they spoke at length about their love for, li- for libraries and their commitment to keeping libraries open. And lots of local grassroots community groups have sprung up 
kind of almost overnight. Um, so there's Save Geelong West Library, there's Friends of Bowen Bowen Heads Library and Save Hyden Library. So they're all running campaigns and protests and they're getting really active um, in protesting and opposing the closures. And I saw um, yesterday, I think it was, in the Geelong Advertiser that a young mum started a campaign to keep Kidinia Pool open all year. And for those of you who don't know, Kidinia Pool's kind of like a Geelong icon. It's, you know, for us, it's one of our local treasures um, and it's another service that the public really love and really value. So the fight, that campaign here is pretty big. Well, I think um, that's probably all we've got time for. Thanks, Adele. But thanks heaps for coming on the show. Um, and explaining about this uh, campaign. And uh, there is going to be a snap rally in support of Geelong West Library this Saturday uh, at 9.30, just outside the Geelong West Library. So um, anyone from Melbourne who'd like to give solidarity, that would uh, be really appreciated. Um, for listeners uh, who didn't hear the beginning of the interview, uh, Adele Welsh was just talking about the um, planned library closures and uh, other slashing of services by the Geelong City Council um, and the campaign to fight back and stop these uh, stop these cuts from happening. Adele is from the Geelong Women Unionist Network um, and is part of the campaign. Thanks heaps, Adele. Thank you so much. Can I just very, very quickly share another um, little protest? So there's an ASU community protest outside City Hall at 6 o'clock on Tuesday, um, and I do believe there's a council meeting happening then, and we're really encouraging people to submit a budget submission to council. so community can just go to, they can just type in, have your say, Geelong Council budget submission, um, and a link will come up um, to guide people on how to go through that process. And I've got a link on our one page, and I'll try and get it up on the Trades Hall page as well. And we're also hoping um, to have a budget resource pack available, hopefully today, Um to help guide people on how to make a submission. Great. Thanks heaps, Adele. Thank you very much, Sue. Thank you all so much for having me on. All good, and good luck with the struggle. Thank you. Take it easy, comrades. Thanks. Bye. Okay, well, now we're just going to go into the Green Left Activist calendar and report a little bit about the goings-on in Melbourne. Um, so the first, uh, yeah. Before we do that, we'll go play a quick announcement. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You're All listening good. to Green Left Radio on Freezy Art 855 AM. The fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white fear to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. 
Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. We're your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Okay, now we're up to the uh, Green Left activist calendar of goings-on around Melbourne. Um, so tonight, uh, which is Friday, May the 19th, um, there's going to be a music event at Trades Hall for Timor-Leste Timor Solidarity, Keep the Change. Uh, it's at 5.30pm at the Common Room on Ligon Street, Carlton, or the Ligon Street entrance. So if people just look up um, Timor-Leste Solidarity, um, you'll find the Facebook event for that. Um, but it's 5.30 tonight at Trades Hall. And then tomorrow, uh, Saturday the 20th, there's going to be a Hazara Women for Change fundraiser at 6.30pm at Cafe Gummo, 711 High Street, Thornbury. Um, that's also something that you can um, look for on Facebook. And, you know, for people who aren't aware, the Hazara community in Afghanistan has been subject to a genocide uh, in Afghanistan. That's one of the reasons that so many of the Afghani refugees in Australia are from the Hazara um, community in Afghanistan. So we're definitely worth supporting. Then on Tuesday night, the 23rd of May at 6.30pm, uh, there'll be a public meeting on Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, a crime against humanity. Um, this will be at 6.30 at the Resistance Centre on Level 5, 407 Swanson Street City, uh, and that's very close to the State Library and the Melbourne Central train station. That event is being hosted by uh, both Socialist Alliance and Green Left. Um, it's, the title again is Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, A Crime Against Humanity. And the speakers for that include um, Nasser Mashni from Australian Palestine Advocacy Network and also Noura Mansour, um, also from the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network and Meredith Lawrence from Socialist Alliance. Then on Wednesday the 24th of May at 6.30pm, there's a film screening called Oh Jeremy Corbyn, The Big Lie at the New International Bookshop Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. So you enter from the Victoria Street entrance into the Trades Hall building. And then from Thursday the 25th of May until Saturday the 27th of May, there'll be an Occupy for Climate Melbourne 2023. Um, you'll be able to find that online. There'll be protests at different locations, and this has been organised by Extinction Rebellion. But check that out online, and you'll be able to sign up to one of the actions. Um, on Saturday the 27th of May, there is um, a concert... Uh, by the Painters and Dockers, Get Docked 40, 
at 7pm at Memo Music Hall. Then on Sunday, the 28th of May, there'll be a community celebration, uh, the Ballot Maroop Day, uh, at 12.30 to 3pm uh, at 208A Hilton Street, Glenroy. And this is a campaign I've been involved in for a very long time. It's a site of a former Aboriginal school, the Ballot Maroop um, School, which was forcibly closed down by the state government in 2012, despite big protests by the school community. And there'll be, uh, since then, there's been a campaign to win back the site and have the land title transferred to the Wurundjeri, Wurrung. Um, you know, this really should be, is Aboriginal land. And uh, there's a campaign for a First Nations community hub to be built on the site. And this will be a day of celebration of First Nations culture. Um, there'll be activities for everyone on this day, and I'd really encourage people to come. It's called the Ballot Maroop Day, 12.30 to 3 p.m. The details are on the Green Left Activist calendar. And I'd just like to end with one last announcement, which is an event happening in June, um, on Saturday the 17th of June, and it's a rally for accessible tram stops on Sydney Road, Make Sydney Road Accessible for All. Um, it will be at 11am and we'll meet at the open space on the corner of Sydney Road and Wilson Avenue, Brunswick. It's sort of roughly diagonally opposite the Barclay Square Shopping Centre at 11am. And the motivation for this uh, protest is that in two years' time, the state government will be closing down the upfill train line for approximately 18 months to two years to remove the level crossings. That will, in one fell swoop, remove all accessible public transport in this upfill corridor. And this campaign was initiated by a man who uh, is in a wheelchair who will not be able to get to work once the upfill line is closed. So we're campaigning for accessible tram stops before the line is closed, um, uh, uh, accessible tram stops in Sydney Road. If you're interested in helping out with the campaign, um, contact us in Green Left and we'll um, put you in touch with the local activists. Um, we're starting a massive letterboxing and postering campaign for this rally. Uh, thanks for that, Sue. Um, we'll just play a quick announcement um, um, because we'll, we'll go in straight into our next interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio. On May 20, new anti-protest laws will come into effect in Victoria targeting forest protectors. Sign up to be part of a mass survey action to protect and restore forests and defend the right to protest. Surveying is the act of looking for threatened species in an area slated to be logged in order to trigger protections. All forest protectors, whether at protest camps or citizen scientists, are targeted with these new anti-democratic laws. To sign up, go to geco.org.au. Be a part of this epic survey action on Saturday the 20th of May so that we can protect and restore the critical forest ecosystems that we all depend on and defend the right to protest in the process. Goongra Environment Centre is a 3CR supporter. 
Hi, George. Um, welcome to the show. And um, hi. Um, just for listeners, um, our next interviewee is George Kinjeri from the Save the Preston Market campaign. So welcome, George. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, so first of all, I, there will be some listeners who don't know about the campaign, might not live in the local area. While I know a lot of people in the Darabin area and a lot of people do know about the campaign, could you just give a sense to listeners who might not know who is trying to tear down the Preston market and why and a little of the history of the campaign, just short history? Uh-huh. So the market, the Preston market's in the middle of, well, it's in the middle of Preston. It's a very large market. It has tens of thousands of visitors every year. It's been there for about 50 years, and it's a much-loved place. And um, But there are developers who are trying to tear it down and replace it with uh, about 2,200 apartments or so. And the issue is that the market is privately owned. So technically... They own the market and are allowed to do what they want with it. But what we're saying as a community group is that this market is, it's, it's a public place and it's sort of become too big to fail or something. You could put it like that. It's, it's too big to be, um, in the private hands of these developers. And so we want it to be, um, publicly acquired by the government in order to make sure that 100% of the market is saved. And um, these developers, yeah, they, so they're, they're intent on knocking it down. And what they're claiming is that they're going to build a new market nearby on the site, on, on another part of the site, which is going to replace this market. But the issue with that is that we can tell from their plans um, that, firstly, from, firstly from their plans, that it's not going to be a new market. It's going to be much more like a shopping mall or something like that. It's going to be all glossy and upmarket to match their fancy apartments, that, which they're going to build. And it's going to have a cinema and a supermarket and car parks built on top of the structure. A whole lot of the existing traders are not going to exist, and they're actually being forced out of the market now, so that the um, tra- so that the developers don't have to um, transfer them over. The other thing that we know is that uh, developers have made these promises before. So if you look at Mooney Ponds Market, for instance, that was a beautiful private market. The developers said, "Oh, don't worry, we're going to um, respect." the market here and we will, you know, replace it and it's no longer there and there's no longer a market there. So that's the situation in a nutshell. I'll accept that. The, so we've been fighting for, um, there's been an, uh, a campaign fighting for the market for 10 years and we are the latest iteration of that. <clears throat> we've been in existence for two years or so. And um, yeah, so far it's going reasonably well, but there's quite a way to go. Well, actually the campaign uh, does show the... Um extent of public uh, love for the market and opposition to what the developers are doing because you had a massive public meeting last Friday night. I, My estimation, I was at the meeting, was that there were over 400 people. I'm not sure. I mean, that's not an exact count, and I know you had to close the doors. Um, so I'm wondering if you could sort of talk about the response from the people of Darabin and what the market means to the locals, and probably not just locals. I think there are people right across the north of Melbourne who go to the Preston markets, not just people who live very locally. Yeah, well, the market's loved by people all over Australia and even 
when we started our campaign and we were um, made some T-shirts about the market, we even got an order from Canada. I think someone in Canada was wanting one. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a hugely um, important place for people not not only in Darabin across the entire northern uh, northern Melbourne. Really, people come from you know Diamond Creek, and uh, even some people come over from I don't know Sunshine and places like that, Warrandyte, as well as locals. Um, but the well, the campaign, yeah, as you said, the. The meeting on Friday was absolutely huge, and yeah, that's what we estimated as well—around 450 people. And we, had, yeah, we had to shut the doors and um, talk to people outside and ask them to come come to a, another subsequent organising meeting. Um, but the campaign—I I feel like it's really ignited a, a feeling of community pride in in people, um, which you know, I, I think people have always felt pride in their community in Darabin and, and Preston and the surrounds. But this is really. I think ignited something where people feel like, oh, you know, um, we, we're not just going to let these rich developers just come in and and do whatever they want and tell us it's for our own good. We've got our own ideas about what we think should be happening in our community, and we're going to, you know, we're going to prosecute that. We're going to we're going to fight for what we want and what we need. And um, initially, when we told people that we were you know, when, that we were fighting against this development. A lot of people, everyone supported us, basically. The number of people who support the development, I mean, honestly, the number of people who support the development who, I, who I've who i met, I could count on, on one hand almost. But um, people would say, oh, you know, it's, it's too hard, you know. But as the campaign's gone on and gathered in strength and we've got some wins under our belt, people are starting to feel like, oh, maybe we can do this. And... and um, you know, getting more involved. And that the most recent thing that's culminated in, yeah, is this town hall meeting, which had 450 people there. Everyone was very passionate about the market. It felt really incredible to be in a room like that full of people who were just like, you know, united in, in with that purpose. Um, and so, yeah, so all indications are that the community is more and more behind us as, as more and more people feel that not only do they love the market, but we can actually win and keep our market. Well, what would be great now would be if you could tell us a little bit about the latest developments and maybe just one thing I might throw in. I imagine Preston Market, like all of the other markets in Melbourne, used to be publicly owned. They never used to be in the hands of private corporations and then the Kennett government sold off the markets. And um, I didn't know the story about the Mooney Ponds market, but... um, when I moved to Glenroy um, a number of years ago, I was really excited to see a sign for the Glenroy market mm. and I was waiting for it to open <laughs> and it never yeah. opened because yeah. it had been sold off and, and, and yeah. now it's been replaced by a plumbing shop. Um, so the Preston market must have been a public market in the past, but maybe give us a bit of a sense of, I get the impression the state government has now maybe under the pressure of the campaign um, you know, started to recognise the significance of the market and making more sympathetic noises than they have in the past. But there was a lot of discussion at the public meeting about public acquisition and there was a motion moved um, and, you know, enthusiastically supported, I think, unanimously um, by the meeting. So if you could just tell us what the latest developments are and what what the demands of the campaign are. 
So the first thing I should say is that the Preston market has always been privately owned. That's been one. Oh, has it? Okay, I didn't of, know yeah. that. A lot of people do believe, though, that it was publicly owned. And that only that just really speaks to the public nature of the market and the fact that it should be publicly owned. You know, mm. when, when you tell people, oh, you know, this is actually privately owned, people can't believe it. it it's preposterous. And recently the developer's been hanging out there and telling people he doesn't like to leave and things like that. And it's like, oh, my God, you, you, this is so wrong. You know, it does need to be publicly owned. Um, but, yeah, the latest developments, well, in terms of our campaign, yes, at the um, public meeting last Friday, apart from having a community discussion, which was really, uh, you know, vibrant and fantastic, we passed three motions, which were, number one, that the government needed to um, recognise that the community doesn't expect, like, 60% of the market to be saved or 70%, but the entire structure, 100%. Um, that, that we want all of it to be saved. Number two was that uh, that we passed a motion um, demanding that the developers treat the traders um, with with respect and grant them leases and reduce their rents, which is something that the developers have been uh, squeezing the traders on for years and years, actually, um, with short leases and high rents, um, basically with the intention of running down the market so that then they can say, oh, look, the market, um, it needs to be sort of fixed up and, you know, zhuzhed up anyway, so you should do our plan, basically. And the third motion was that the government, uh, state government ought to publicly acquire the market to ensure it's smooth running and continuous running into the future uh, without being at risk of developers. So that's what, so that's our latest kind of, um, uh, the latest occurrence from us. Obviously, we're planning um, a lot of events into the future, and a lot more people have um, want to get involved following that public meeting. So we've got a, a new surge of energy, which is fantastic. Um, from the uh, developers' perspective, um, what they're doing, uh, which people should be aware of, particularly if you visit the market, they've um, hired a public relations firm with actually a lot of con deep connections to the ALP, actually. Um, to run a, a confusion campaign, basically. So they're, they're, we, our campaign's called Save the Preston Market. They've started this campaign called Save the Traders. And in that campaign, they claim that the only way that the existing traders are going to survive into the new market, or survive, sorry, into the future, is if the developers are allowed to build their new market. Otherwise, um, they're not going to be allowed to have new leases. Uh, they're not going to... Um, that the market will have to be closed for two years while it's upgraded, and that means at the end of their businesses and stuff like that. So on the one hand, they've been squeezing the traders for years and treating them horrifically, and on the other hand, they're the ones claiming that they that they care about the traders and want to save them. Um, I don't think that campaign's working very well. Everyone I've spoken to, at the very least, just looks at it suspiciously, but no one, no one really has come up to us and gone, look, I've, you know... You, I've seen the Save the Traders campaign. It's actually the developers who are going to um, save the market. So the next thing that's coming up basically is just that the planning minister and the planning department is going to um, produce a new precinct structure plan which will indicate how much of the market has to be retained. Um, and then based on that, uh, well, you know, we'll either be unhappy or happy with that and we'll support it or object to it and... Um, the opposite will be true for the developers, I guess. Whatever we're happy with, they won't be happy with, and whatever they're happy with, we probably won't be happy with. Um, and so there's basically a sort of a, 
uh, a public relations kind of battle and a, a, a going on at the moment um, uh, prior to this precinct structure plan being released. And when that plan's released, then we'll have to see where we go from there. Well, I was... Uh, actually, we're about uh, due. We need to start wrapping up the show. But I was interested that the um, the local Labor MP was sort of saying, oh, the state government has discussed public acquisition of the mm. market, but we just can't work out which portfolio it should go into. So we think yeah. maybe Darabin Council should buy it instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was that was very interesting, and we're going to be following up on that, right? So, yeah, Nathan Lambert, the local MP, he was... Yeah, he didn't really have any concrete um, arguments against public acquisition that were very convincing, really. So, yeah, the, the, the main one he had was that, um, yeah, there's no portfolio and so the government wouldn't sort of administratively know what to do with the market. And it's like, from our perspective, it's, if that's the biggest problem to acquiring the market, that's fantastic because we can sort that out. Um, <laughs> you know, right. I'm sure Darabin Council would be happy to sort of uh, work out some sort of administrative um, sort of system if the state government were to help them buy the market. Uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, we were glad to hear those words, although they were a little bit confusing because, um, you know, I mean, it was unclear as to whether they were Nathan Lambert's words or the state government's words. He was there in the capacity as a representative of the Premier, um, but we're going to have to try and hold him to those words and see what happens with that as well. Well, thanks, George. That's all we've got time for today, but um, it's great having you on the show, and it actually looks like you've the campaign's made progress. <laughs> and yeah, while you absolutely. haven't won, you've made lots of progress. Yeah. So congratulations. Thanks a lot, Sue, and thanks for having me. And I encourage everyone who's listening, if you haven't gotten involved already, um, visit our Facebook page or our website and get in touch with us and get involved in the organising. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bye. Bye. All right. You're just listening to George Conjury, um, who is part of the Save Preston uh, Market campaign, which actually, you know, to just make a number of um, brief kind of comments, I actually think it is quite an inspiring campaign in a lot of ways. And I think one thing we just also have to... One thing to sort of note as a bit of extra sort of background information is um, one of the sort of independents... Um, um, independent um, councillors, Gaetano Greco, actually ran for the state election um, in the last kind of state election. And, in fact, he's been a big kind of supporter and been a, quite a big part of this Save Preston Market campaign. And off the back of that sort of grassroots sort of... Um, his grassroots sort of support base, he actually got a significantly high vote in the lower house election, almost winning the seat off Labor, off the back of um, preferences from the Greens and the Socialists. So I think that sort of shows there's there's the kind of level of kind of pressure that the Labor Party is actually kind of under, um, but it also shows the impact that, you know, a broad mass grassroots campaign can have on, on politics. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so just a few things um, I just want to highlight. Um, we're getting to a bit to the end of the show. Um, Gabrielle, did you want to sort of give a report on that sort of other news story that you wanted to do? Which, uh, Yes, so um, also on Wednesday there was a rally um, to, named Better Buses for the West. So there were um, campaigners, residents, councillors and MPs all present um, as a group of residents were uh, from the western suburbs were campaigning for 
just better better access to buses because they have uh, for a very long time they have lacked um, any public transport so they rely on um, bus routes to get around in the western suburbs um, which sometimes can be unreliable um, so they are asking the state government to invest um, some money into developing more efficient bus routes um, and also eventually get um, bring ele- electric buses to the western suburbs um, so they're not being left behind on on public transport resources compared to um, the inner city. All right. Well, thanks for that. Um, Newsport, Sue, do you have any sort of extra comments you wanted to make to that? Well, I just think there's a need for so much investment in public transport, um, and it's not necessarily the mega projects like extra city tunnels and suburban rail loops and all of that kind of stuff. There's a need for, you know, there's so many bus routes in Melbourne that don't operate at night, don't operate on Sunday, and don't operate after midday on Saturday. And there's so many areas. I heard about a western suburb school the other day where students who live to the north or the south of the high school can get to school by bus, but there's no bus route for students who live to the east or the west of the school. And so they're just all of these little gaps, and some of them actually don't take much much money to um, build those links, but the governments, you know, would rather give big handouts to big engineering companies um, with mega projects rather than fill all of these little gaps, and then you get, councils and local governments lecturing people about why they're driving Mm. well the reason people might drive is because there ain't the public transport to get people places students to school and workers to work um so yeah that's what's happening but um but yeah i think we've sort of at the wrap-up period of the show and i'd really like to thank guests um on who've been on the show adele welsh from the geelong women unionist network and George Kenjeri from the Save Preston Markets campaign. We've also got the 3CR Radiothon because um, 3CR Radio only survives with listener support. Um, So we really urge everyone to support the 2023 Radiothon. The station needs your help to stay radical and provide a vital platform for all the issues that get left behind by the mainstream media and uh, platform the voices that get silenced by the mainstream media. We need the community to stay tuned to diverse voices and alternative perspectives in order to create meaningful social change. Please help the station to build and expand this vital media outlet and encourage others to stay tuned, stay radical, Make a donation to the Radiothon today. Any amount makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. And then also check out, if you haven't looked up the Green Left website or seen a hard copy of the Green Left, um, check out the Green Left website for um, more news and analysis at www.greenleft.org.au. We can only fit a s- tiny sliver of uh, um, issues onto the there. program. So we're out of time. All good.
listening to Green Left Radio. On to the next program. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from the slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.